a little story from Dear Abby. She recorded a powerful story a few years ago, and, uh, and it really encouraged me when I read it. A young man from a wealthy family, or really actually inspired me, a young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. It was a custom in their affluent community for parents to give their graduating children a new car, and the boy and his dad had spent weeks visiting a dealership, one dealership after another. The week before graduation, they found the perfect car. The boy was certain it would be in the driveway on graduation night. On the eve of his graduation, however, his father handed him a small package wrapped in colorful paper. The father said the package contained the most valuable gift the father could think of. It was a Bible. The boy was so angry that he threw the Bible down and stormed out of the house. He and his father never saw each other again. True story. Several years later, the news of his father's death finally brought him home again. Following the funeral, he sat alone one evening going through his father's possessions that he was to inherit when he came across the Bible his dad had given him. Overwhelmed by grief, he brushed away the dust and cracked it open for the first time. When he did, a cashier's check dated the day of his high school graduation fell into his lap in the exact amount of the car that they had chosen together. The gift had been there all along, but he had turned away. What a powerful story of how the gifts that you need, the things that you need, the life that you need, the love that you need, the goodness that you need, the power that you need is in this Bible today. Don't wait to open it five years from now, 10 years from now. 20 years from now, everything you need is in this Bible. If you'll just start opening it up and reading it today, don't waste another day. Don't waste another year. Don't live in the sorrow and the grief. Don't live in the sorrow and the grief of having wasted years before you get into this great word that'll change your life from the inside out. Amen. So let's do that today. Open up your Bibles with me and let's start in John chapter 14. And I want to pick up where we left off last week. And the teaching today that I want to talk to you about is I I want to share a message I've entitled completely satisfied, completely satisfied. How many would like to live a life where you're completely satisfied? God sure wants you to be completely satisfied. But here there's man's way of getting satisfied and there's God's way of getting satisfied. Man's way ends up with the final song of your life, saying with Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. Though I try and I try and I try and I try, I can't get no. No, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. I only know the words of that because my grandparents taught me that. But anyway, um, There's God's way of satisfying us and there's man's way of satisfying. There's our way and there's God's way. And here's God's way. Look at John chapter 14, completely satisfied. You're going to walk out of here completely satisfied. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, notice what he is saying here. Sometimes I think we miss the simplest truth of scripture. When Jesus says, I am the way, what, what, whenever you think of a way, a way is a, is a path or an avenue to a destination. So when Jesus says, I am the way, we have to a- answer the question, 
what is he the way to? Now, most of us would agree he is the only way to heaven, and that's powerful. He's the only way to be saved from hell. Absolutely powerful and absolutely true. But what he is talking about here is an overarching theme that is more important and transcends all other things that Jesus came to do. This is the ultimate purpose for which Jesus came to become a way, not just to heaven, because heaven without the Father there is really not heaven at all. And hell is not really hell if God's presence was there. Hell wouldn't even be that bad. I'm not saying that hell isn't bad. There is torment. But remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through a fiery furnace, but there was a fourth man in the fire, and they, did, they were not burned. Not one hair on their head was singed. Why? Be, the difference was not the place where they were. The difference was the person that was with them. And the, well, the fourth man in the fire was Jesus, obviously. But notice here, what is Jesus the way to? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To, to what? No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the way to the Father. That his whole reason and purpose for coming down here was to be the bridge for you and me to step into a relationship with God as Father. Not just Lord, not just King, not just Savior, but Father. Boy, there's something that happens in our lives when we know God as Father. Now, we know in this world today, there is something that happens in this world when kids don't know their fathers. There's something that happens in this world when fathers don't raise their kids properly. There's something that happens to kids when the father is absent. I'm not saying that you're condemned or doomed or defined by however you grew up because the, the Father, our Heavenly Father, more than makes up for whatever our earthly fathers or mothers lacked and wherever they failed us. And you might have had great parents, but no parent is enough to fill the eternal hole in your heart. Only the heavenly father can do that. And only the heavenly father can give you your identity that leads to your destiny. Everybody has a destiny. Everybody has a destiny. Everybody has a purpose, but there's only one path to that purpose. And that is intimacy with God as father. Listen, Jesus didn't even come just so you could know him. Jesus came so you could know the Father. Now, when you see him, you've seen the Father, and he and the Father are one, and he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, but his point is, is I'm here to bring you to the Father. I'm here so you can know God as Father. I'm here to restore to you what Adam and Eve had in the garden. Adam and Eve were God's first children. God was their father. They were his kids. They were, the, they were the offspring of his love. They were the overflow of his love. And he birthed them or brought them into this world because of love. They were begotten children of God. He gave birth to them uh, through his spirit. He formed them out of the dust of the ground and then breathed life into their, into their, into their soul. And they became living souls, living spirits. And they, were, and they were distinct from the animals because God's breath was in them. They were distinct from the animals because God was their father, not just their creator. God is the creator of all things good, but he's the father of you and I when you're born again. Now, the Bible says in John chapter, excuse me, in um, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, 
it says the, that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father, 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 Daddy, Father. This word Abba was used by people who had the most intimate understanding of how much their father loved them, how much their father accepted them, how much their father approved of them, and how much their father adored them. So when a child would cry Abba, when a person would refer to their father as Abba Father, it was the most intimate word. It was the closest word. It was the most affectionate word. It was the most adoring word. And why? Because God doesn't want you to know him just as great God, great King, great Savior. He wants you to know, he wants you to know him as Abba Father, Daddy Father. He wants this intimate connection with you. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he created you. Why? Because he knows the good that's inside of you when you're born again. He knows the destiny that he has for you before you know it yourself. He knows the treasure he put inside of you before you've ever discovered it, before you even knew there was a treasure in you. He gave worth to you. He created you with value. He put his spirit in you and he comes to live inside of you by his Holy Spirit. Are you kidding? He loves you. He must love you so much that he could live anywhere in this universe and he chooses to live in you. He could call you anything, but the most favorite thing he has to call you is his dearly loved child. When Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, that's what he called him. You are my dearly loved son, and in you I am well pleased. Look, God doesn't want us to cry out. He doesn't want us to cry out God. He doesn't want us to just cry out Savior. He doesn't want us to just cry out Lord. He is all of those things. But he wants us to cry out Abba, Daddy. It's the closeness. It's the intimacy. It's a child running into his father's arms. Whether you're a girl or a boy, there's nothing like running into the safe arms of a loving, protective, merciful, strong, generous daddy. Now, don't get me wrong. Mommy's amazing too. And, mom, and, and mothers are symbolized, mothers are symbolized in the Holy Spirit. But God wants us to know him as father as well. And he wants us to really realize that, well, the st- studies show, statistics show, that when a, when a mother comes to Christ, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with mothers, mothers are doing their job. Oftentimes fathers aren't, but, but God can fix all that. Now, my point is not to pick on mothers or fathers, but th- I'm just telling you statistics. When a mother comes to Jesus Christ, 15% studies show 15% of her family on average follows her to Jesus Christ. When a child in the family comes to Christ, 30% of the family follows that child and comes to Christ. But the studies show when the father comes to Christ, the whole family gets saved. Why? Because there's something about the father taking his place as the symbol of the fatherhood of God in this earth. The mother's already taking her place 
as a symbol of the comforter and the teacher and the encourager. But when the father takes his place, that's when kids now have both parents and, and, and listen, both parents to love them and to raise them and to, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the, the point is, is no matter how you grew up, your heavenly father can make up for whatever your earthly parents failed to do. And it's not so much my point to, to point out where your earthly parents succeeded or failed, but rather to highlight what the father is like and what he wants you to know about him from the Bible so that you will be healed and you will be completely satisfied. Now take us, let's take ourselves back to the scripture in John 14 verse 6 where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except by me. And then in verse 7 he says, he said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. He said, And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. And now notice Philip, one of the disciples who had been with Jesus for the last two years, because we're in here we are in John chapter 14 and there's 21 chapters in the book of John. So if you're in chapter 14, you're about two thirds of the way through the three years of earthly ministry of Jesus. You're two years into his ministry. Philip was one of Jesus handpicked disciples. And Philip saw Jesus raise the dead. Philip saw Jesus heal the sick. Philip saw Jesus turn water into wine. Philip saw Jesus um, feed the multitude. Philip saw Jesus walk on water. Philip saw Jesus um, heal the lepers. Philip was there. He saw it all. But he was not satisfied. He says this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. What a great prayer. Show us the Father cause us to see the father. That is all we ask. And then here is the prophetic word to each and every one of us. When we know God as father, he said, that is all we ask. Then we shall be satisfied. Then we shall be satisfied. When shall we be satisfied? When we see the father when we see the Father, when we see Him as Father, when we know Him as Father, when we understand Him as Father. You know what? When you understand Him just as healer, you could be healed but not satisfied. When you understand Him as provider, you can be provided for but still not satisfied. When you understand Him as, as Lord, you can be under His Lordship and still not be satisfied. When you know He is King, you can be, He can be the King of your life. You can be a King and He can be the King of Kings, but you still won't be satisfied. When you know Him as Teacher, you can be taught, but still not satisfied. When you know him as encourager, you can be encouraged, but still not satisfied. When you know him as um, discipler, you can be discipled, but still not satisfied. When do you get satisfied? When you know him as father, that's when we shall be satisfied. And listen, this is why we do what we do. Everything we do in life that's wrong (laughs) and much of what we do in life that's right, but most of most everything that we do in life that is wrong, we do it because of the illusion or the delusion that somehow that will satisfy us. So if we cheat, somehow we think that'll satisfy us. If we steal, 
Somehow having that thing will satisfy us. If we do this wrong or that wrong, we believe what's the undercurrent underneath it all. What is the underlying motive of why we do what we do, even when we do something wrong, is we believe, even though we're, even though we're deceived, we believe it will satisfy us. But if we will align our thinking to God's word here in John chapter 14, 8, and realize the only thing that will ever satisfy you is seeing and knowing and understanding God as your father, then you will cease trying to replace him in your life with anybody else. You won't need anybody else to be your daddy. You won't need anybody else to be your mama. You won't need anybody else to be the mama of your drama. All you'll need is to know God as father. Now listen, now listen. I have counseled and ministered to and talked with and heard from and studied the lives of thousands and thousands of people. And I have witnessed firsthand the devastation in people's lives that divulged to me as a pastor. They divulged to me their pain. They divulged to me their damage. They divulged to me their history. They divulged to me what's happened in their life. And inevitably, almost every single time, there is, there is a fracture between them and their father in some way. Their father was absent. Their father didn't know how to raise them. Perhaps their father uh, didn't knowingly let this happen, but out of ignorance, the child was abused, and it boils down to the father was not there to protect them, to defend them. And inevitably, if you trace it back to the root of why we have the fruit of lust in our lives, the fruit of jealousy in our lives, the fruit of addiction in our lives, the fruit of needing approval in our lives, the fruit of needing people's attention and needing affection and needing to feel better than somebody else. All of that is rooted in this brokenness in our soul that we call the father fracture. It is the result of not knowing God as Father and not getting the transfer of that spirit of fatherhood from our earthly parents to us. And as a result, we bear the image of a broken soul because we were raised by broken people. And that is not to put the blame on anybody, but to simply put the explain on everybody, not the blame. It just explains things. It's not to blame things or blame people. It's to explain it so that you understand the source of your healing is not to go back to mommy and daddy and make sure that you start over all again. The, 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 the solution, the cure is to have the father heal the cracks, heal the fractures, heal the, fill the holes, love you through the pain, father you through the, 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 the gaps in your life and to satisfy you completely, just like he said he would. Show us the father. That's all we ask. Then we shall be satisfied. You know what? You can ask for the moon and, and it be given to you and it won't satisfy you. You can ask for all the money in the world and it be given to you and it won't satisfy you. You can ask for the best job, the best house, the best husband, the best wife, the best family, and it still won't satisfy you. You can ask for, if you're single, you can ask to be married and you can get married and it won't satisfy you. If you're married, you can ask for that spouse 
to, to be the person that finally meets your need and it won't satisfy you. If you think, if I just get rid of this guy, I'll be satisfied. Been with him long enough, seen him long enough, grown with him long enough. He's outgrown me in every way. He's bigger than he was. He's fatter than he was. He's poorer than he was ever since I met him. You know, that's because like the lady that, you know, was bragging to her friend about, you know, her husband. She said, I made my husband a millionaire. I made my husband a millionaire. The friend said, well, what was he before that? She said, a billionaire. (laughs) But no matter what anybody else is to you, they cannot satisfy you. And in fact, let me just say this. I hope this makes sense to you. But if people have disappointed you, and some people have even left your life and it's brought damage, loneliness, pain, suffering. It's not that they left you that hurt you. It's that they leaving you revealed a hole in your soul. And that hole in your soul is a, 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 a bell. It's an alarm. It's a, um, it, it, it's a, it's a signal. It's an invitation. It's really actually a blessing that they left you because you had too much hope in them filling the gaps. And, and, and what that is, when you are in that moment of your life, that's an invitation. That's an invitation to let God father you through it and to know him as father. Now, before we're done today, I'm going to show you six things about God as father. And when you embrace these six truths about God as your father, you will be satisfied. You will be fulfilled. You will be healed of the father fracture. Are you ready? Now, Jesus said, uh, go over with me to um, Mark chapter or John chapter 10. Jesus said in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, this is a powerful promise. No one, this is so amazing. No one is going to snatch us out of Jesus' hand, but then he says something even greater. Verse 28, and my father has given these sheep to me and my father is greater than all. My father is greater than all and no one will snatch them out of my father's hand. So it's one thing he said, man, you got it made in the shade that no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. But let me tell you something even greater because my father is greater than all and no one's ever going to snatch you out of the father's hand. And when he says no one, that's all inclusive. That means no one, no devil, no demon, no angel, no man, no woman, not even you can snatch yourself out of the father's hands because once you let him in, he's never letting go. He will not, he will not, he will not ever forsake you or leave you or never let you out of his hands or relax his hold on you. That's the kind of father that you have. If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, Luke chapter 11 or Luke chapter seven and Matthew chapter 11, somewhere it's just seven 11, just go to seven 11 somewhere. And it's, it's, it's in there. 
But I like what he says here. My father, go, go back to the, like the new King James version of this verse in John 10, 29. He says, my father is greater than all. Now, anybody remember the greater than symbol in math? Anybody remember math? There's this little symbol, the greater than symbol. So whatever's on the small side of it is smaller and whatever's on the the, the larger side of it, the open side of it, is the greater thing. So this, um, so, so this mathematical equation is greater than this mathematical equation. This numeral is greater than this numeral. This formula is greater than this formula. Whatever's on this side is greater than. And so when it says my father is greater than all, th- this is what I picture. This is how I think. This is how I imagine. I just see this, this, this greater than sign. Every time I see a problem in my life, I see this greater than sign that says my father is greater than all those problems. Anytime I got a financial issue, I say, my father is greater than that financial problem. Anytime I'm going through an emotional, difficult time, I say, well, there's that symbol. My father is greater than that emotional problem. My, my father is greater than that family situation. My father is greater than that attack against me. My father is greater than my pain. My father is greater than the doctor's report. My father is greater than the legal situation. My father is greater than my mistakes. My father is greater than all. He's greater than all. He's greater than all. Say that. He's greater than all. Say, my father is greater than all. Boy, if something happens when you believe that. See, many Christians are fighting a battle. They don't know quite where it stems from. Whether we are living in a world of violence. Think about the world we live in. Violence, drug addiction, sex addiction, divorce, marriage problems, emotional problems, behavioral problems. Those are the fruit of the problem. Where do they stem from? I tell you this. They stem from the same place that that Philip understood where it stemmed from in his life. Show us the Father. That's all we ask. Then we'll be satisfied. The reason why people commit violence, the reason why there's division, why there's hate, why there's stealing, why there's lying, why there's cheating, why there's pain, why there's suffering, why men and women do to other men and women what they do, why governments do to people, why oppressive people do to, uh, to, 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 to oppress others. The reason why is because somehow they're not satisfied. So if I steal your money, maybe I'll be satisfied. If I steal your body, maybe I'll be satisfied. If I get something from you that I don't have right now, maybe I'll be satisfied. If I can feel better than you, maybe I'll be satisfied. Everything people do, they do it in order to feel satisfied. But thank God Philip prophetically spoke to us. The solution to everything, the root to everything, the the, the source from which every good thing will stem from our lives is when we know the Father, then we shall be satisfied. And anything less than a relationship with God as Father will leave you dissatisfied. Come on, is anybody hearing this today? So, So it all stems from not knowing God as Father. It starts in the home and it leaves us broken. And then we wonder why we have the problems we, we have. We wonder why we have the addictions we have. We, don't, we would never want to blame. We wonder why we have the pain we have. We wonder why we have the habits we have. We wonder why we have the, the, the attitudes, the anger, the lust, the fears, the anxieties that we, that we, that we have because there's a hole The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, God has set eternity in our hearts. And if if there is eternity in your heart, then temporary things cannot fill an eternal hole. And temporary people cannot fill an eternal hole. You really have a God-shaped hole 
in your heart that can only be filled by God. Then you shall be satisfied. And what, what will it be filled with? Knowing God as Father. You know, it says, come out from their midst. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, verse 14 through 16, come out from their midst and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me. What he's saying there is come out from seeking satisfaction the way the world seeks satisfaction. Come out from that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 16. Come out from seeking satisfaction the way the world seeks satisfaction. And he says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. You see, the whole purpose and plan of God from all eternity was to have a family and for him to be our father. You say, well, what if, man, but I ruined my marriage. I ruined my family. I ruined my kids. I ruined this relationship. What am I, what do I do? Well, don't, let, let's not try to solve eternal issues with temporary mistakes. Do you know the divorce that you went through was a temporary, even, it may not have even been a mistake. It may have been a mistake to, 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 to get married to begin with. I don't want to get down, go down that path. That, that's just going to take us into too many directions. But my point is, is let's call it a mistake. Let's call it a sin. Call it whatever you want. But I call it temporary. You want to know why? Because the Bible says in heaven... They're neither married nor given in marriage. So God must not put as much eternal weight on what we put eternal weight on. Like we look at our mistakes and think, oh man, I've ruined everything. I've ruined my life. I've ruined my forever. Wait a minute. If we're not even married or given in marriage in heaven, then why are we putting so much weight upon the fact that 50% of us have failed in marriage and maybe 25 or 30% of the other 50% are just going through the motions and the other 10% are just in it for their children and the other 5% are really in love. Who knows? I don't know what the, uh, okay, I didn't do a study on that. <laughs> I'm just drawing, I'm just, I'm making up some, stati- some of them are actually a study, but my point is, is why do we put so much weight on the things that we failed and yet we don't put weight on the things that Jesus succeeded at, and that is he washed it all away, he forgives you of everything, and you have an opportunity to have a new beginning. And, and I believe in marriage, and I believe if you're married, seek to stay healthy and married, and if you're single, stay single until you're healthy and single. Well, I don't know if that came out right, but it is right. That's all right. Come on, pastor. Um, 80% of rapists grew up in fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts, fatherless homes. 85% of youth in prisons, fatherless homes. 90% of youth criminals, fatherless homes. 90% of gang, kids in gangs, fatherless homes. Kids from fatherless homes have five times the suicide rate, 30 times more likely to run away, 14 times more likely to commit rape, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison, and three times more likely to be poor. Yet our country mocks fathers. Listen to me. This is not an indictment against dads that have failed. 
This is the cry of the Father's heart to father you when you realize how the brokenness in your life is from this fracture and this wound. Our parents did, our, did their best, I'm sure, just as we try to do our best in raising our kids. But still there are holes. Still there are cracks. Still there is brokenness in every human soul that can only be satisfied. Go back to John 14, 8, Amplified Bible. Show us the Father. That is all we ask. Then we shall be satisfied. Now go over with me to um, Luke chapter 15. Let me show you how this works and how God heals us when we get a revelation of these six characteristics of our father. In Luke chapter 15, verse 12, a father had two sons. Luke chapter 15, verse 12, a father had two sons. And it says that the younger one said, Father, give me the portion of the goods that is, that is set aside for me And his father did so, so he divided them among them, his livelihood. And verse 13 goes on to say, and not many days after. Now, boy, that stuck out in me. Not many days after. In other words, this son divided himself. This son separated himself from his father. And not many days after, this guy has wasted his life, wasted his possessions, wasted his inheritance, wasted his everything that he has. Not many days later, boy, it doesn't take very long when you're separated from the father for you to lose your mind. It doesn't take very long when you're separated from your heavenly father for you to lose your soul. It doesn't take very long when you're separated from your father for you to lose your way. It doesn't take very long for you when you're separated from your father, not many days will go by and you will have lost what you had. You will, you will step into making bad decisions. You will step into hanging out with the wrong people. You will step into going to the wrong places. Why? Because you've separated yourself from the one who gives you direction, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who gives you comfort, the one who gives you satisfaction, the one who knows how you should use your inheritance, the one who knows you like nobody knows you, the one who loves you and is waiting for you with his arms open wide, the one who loves you unconditionally, who encourages you unceasingly, who teaches you uncompromisingly, the one who accepts you, approves of you, loves you, adores you, the one who calls you his dearly loved child. When you divide yourself from him, when you pull away from him, this is what he's, this is what God is illustrating for us. This whole, this whole scripture, this whole passage, while it is a, while it is a clear picture of the condition of this son's heart, it is a greater picture of the father's heart. Watch what happens. Doesn't take very long and he's wasted everything. Not many, not many days, not many days. What he gathered after he gathered all his stuff and left his dad, he gathered all his stuff and distanced himself from his father's wisdom, his father's covering, his father's love, his father's, um, his, his, his father's guidance, his father's counsel. Not many days later, he's wasted his possessions. Verse 14, look at what happens. And that, but when he had spent all, there arose a a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Well, any land, any distant land that you, any place, wherever you are, if it's, if it's distant from the father, there's going to be severe famine and you're going to end up in want. Keep going. Verse 15, look at what he says. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him to feed the swine. Listen, listen, you, 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 your sense of value begins to be diminished when you don't, when you're not connected to the father, 
your, your sense of value, your sense of worth. You're going to go ahead and feed the swine. You, this is not humility. This is humiliation. There's a difference. Humility is beautiful. We should all walk in humility. But being humiliated and being someone that we can't even eat the pig's food. We, have, we, can't, even eat the, the, we can't even eat what the servants are eating. We end up eating the pig's food, living in the pig's pen. Verse 16, look at what happens next. And it says, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know why no one gave him anything? Because you weren't created to have anybody else be your daddy. You weren't designed to have anybody else be your provider. You can try to make your husband your provider. You can try to make your wife your provider. You can try to make a friend your provider. You can try to make your job your provider. You can try to make money your provider. But until you receive your heavenly father as your provider, no one's going to give you anything. No one's going to give you anything because you need to go back to your father. As soon as the son distanced himself from his father, he squandered and wasted all that he had. But then verse 18, look at what it says. It says, the son said to himself, he came to his senses and he said, these words, if there are any better, if there are any better words that define the will of God, I haven't found them in the Bible. These words, the first part of his sentence here in verse 18, more closely describe to me the will of God for my life than anything else I've ever read in the Bible. I will arise and go to my father. I will arise and go to my father. I'm hurting. What do I do? I will arise and go to my father. People have betrayed me. What do I do? I will arise and go to my father. People have lied about me. I will arise and go to my father. I'm not going to arise and go tell lies about them. I'm not going to arise and go defend myself. I'm not going to arise and hurt somebody else. I'm not going to arise against my brother. I'm not going to arise against somebody else. I am going to arise and go to my father because that is the source of complete and utter satisfaction in life. Now, Now, let me show you something about the father. When he arises and goes to the father, notice these characteristics of the father. Six things that will heal you of the father fracture and give you complete satisfaction if you embrace these things. They're really simple. The first thing about the father is that he believes in you no matter what your current condition is. Look at verse 20. He says in verse 20 of Luke chapter 15, and he arose and came to his father and while he was still a great way off, His father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, what does this tell us? It says he believes in you no matter what your condition is. How do we know that? Because when we're far off, he's still looking. He's still seeking. He's still believing you're coming home. He's still ready to embrace you, ready to accept you, ready to trust you, ready to to give you another opportunity, ready to welcome you back with open arms. He sees you from a distance. Why? Because he's looking for you. He believes you're coming back. He believes no matter how far you fall and you're coming home, no matter how how beat you've been beaten, you're coming home. No matter how bruised and battered and broken you've been, you're coming home. He knows it. He believes it. He believes in you. He believes that a seed of love was deposited in you at one point when you got saved. He believes that there's a destiny inside of you. He believes that there's a greatness inside of you. He believes that there's a purpose for your life. He believes in you more than you believe in yourself. So he sees you from afar off. You don't even see yourself. You can't even find yourself. You don't even know yourself. 
but he sees you when you're a great way off. Number one, the father believes in you no matter what the condition is of your life. Number two, the father is moving towards you. It says his father saw him and ran to him. The father is always moving towards you. Your heavenly father is always coming at you, coming after you, coming towards you to bless you, coming towards you to do what? To kiss you, to fall on you, not to rebuke you, not to smack you, not to, not to, not to berate you, not to shame you, but to kiss you. The father believes in you no matter what you've done and no matter what your current condition is. Number two, he's always moving towards you. Notice the father runs. It's not a walk gang. He's running towards you. He is moving towards you continually. He's in a hurry to be with you. He is always moving towards you. Number three, it says he's full of compassion. This is the third thing you need to know about your heavenly father. He's full of compassion. He is not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He is what? Mad about you. He's not mad at you. He is what? Mad about you. He has compassion on you. Listen, no matter what you've done, the father is all about mercy. He's not about judgment. He's not about sticking your nose in it. He's not about reminding you of your past. He's not about shaming you. There's no shame in his game. All he wants to do is kiss you, embrace you, hug you, welcome you. He's full of compassion. He feels deeply for you. He doesn't have superficial feelings for you. He hasn't lost his, that loving feeling. Come on. He feels deeply for you. Deep compassion. His well is too deep for you to ever run out of the Father's love for you. But I wasted everything. But he still sees you because he believes in you. He still runs to you because he's always coming towards you. He still has compassion on you because his heart is filled with love for you. And number four, he celebrates you. Look at verse 22. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Whose robe do you think this was? Well, he's the father. He's the Lord of his house. His robe is the best robe. What's he doing? Putting his own robe on his son, clothing him with righteousness. Bring the best. He always has the best for you. You know, when a door closes, rejoice. Don't try to kick it down. Don't try to knock it down. Don't try to find the window to get through it. Don't try to, don't try to tear it up. Don't try to TNT it. Don't try to pull a wily coyote on the roadrunner thing and blow something up to get in there. When a door closes, trust God Believe about your heavenly father that he has something better for you. He, he, he celebrates you. He doesn't tolerate you. Yeah, oh, oh, there's my son. Let's wait until he gets here. I got a few words that I want to share with him. And they ain't pretty. No. When his, when his son comes, he celebrates him. And he kisses him. When the Bible says he kissed him, this word kiss is a present participle. It means he kept on kissing him. He kissed him once 
and he meant, I accept you. He kissed him a second time and he meant, I forgive you. He kissed him a third time and he meant, I restore to you your privileges. He kissed him a fourth time. He said, I approve of you. He kissed him a fifth time and he said, the past is over. He kissed him a sixth time and he said, you're still my son. He kissed him a seventh time and he said, you are never out of my will and out of my heart and out of my mind. I love you too much. And I'm never letting go. And I'll never stop loving you. Never, ever, ever. And number five, he's the father of second chances. He says, uh, put a ring on his finger. Uh, That ring is not just some sort of jewelry, some family heirloom. That ring is his signet ring. That ring represents the father's authority and the father's provision so that that son can go anywhere in the city and show them that ring and whatever that son needs is paid for. Whatever that son needs, he shows them the ring, it's paid for. Isn't it interesting, the father, when he kisses him, when he brings the best robe, when he hugs him, when he falls on his neck, when he embraces him, that's what being baptized in the Holy Spirit is, by the way. The Bible says the same word here when it says he fell on his neck is the same word used in Acts chapter 2 when it says, and the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were in the house. The Holy Spirit is the communicator of the Father's love. The Holy Spirit is the, is the manifestation of the Father's love. The Holy Spirit is the hug of the Father, the embrace of the Father, the Father baptizing you, surrounding you, covering you, immersing you in His goodness and in His love. He's the Father of second chances. And number six, He's the Father who always gives the best. Bring the best robe. Kill the fatted calf. He, look at what he says. What is it in verse 23 or 24? Kill the fatted calf and let's eat and be merry. The father is the father of all happiness and joy and celebration. Kill the fatted calf. He doesn't say, you know what? Go find one of those sick, lame calves of ours that we can't use for anything else. Let's feed that to this boy. He won't know the difference anyway because he's been eating in the pig's trough. No, he said, kill the fatted calf. I, he said, go get that calf with all that fat on it and all that flavor and that, 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 that beef that's been waiting. And see, God is not a vegetarian, just so you know. You might be, and I applaud you. But the father kills the fatted calf because he wants the beef. Arby's was God's idea. We have the beef. We have the meat. All right. (laughs) The anointing's left. Come on, pastor. End this thing. Stand with me. (laughs) He gives the best. He's the God of celebration. He celebrates us. I hope you got something out of this. I want to pray for you today. I already prayed for you to be saved. 
And I know a bunch of people got saved this morning. But before we leave here, I'm just praying for your healing from the father fracture. Would everybody just lift your hands and you that are watching online or watching through our global church community, just lift your hands right where you are and just say this. Say, Heavenly Father, I receive you as my Father. Open my eyes to see you as who you are, my Heavenly Father. There's nothing worldly about you. There's nothing limited about you. There's nothing unloving about you. Open my eyes to know the Father, and then I shall be satisfied. Give me a revelation of the Father's love from this day forward in Jesus' name. Heal me where I've been broken, damaged, wounded, and fractured. Heal the Father fracture, and I shall be satisfied. I receive your healing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, I love you guys. You're dismissed.